Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC Boston, Chris Weidman versus Dominic Reyes, and Shaq is going down tomorrow, Friday, in Boston, in Beantown, Massachusetts. The former middleweight champion, Chris Weidman, taking on the undefeated light heavyweight prospect, Dominic Reyes. Yeah, Chris Weidman, the guy to beat Anderson Silva, not once, but twice. One of the best middleweights of all time. I mean, the run that he was on from 2013 you know, to whenever he took that first loss was quite the run he was on, man. I remember when this guy smashed Mark Munoz and uh, we all thought this guy might be the guy to beat Anderson Silva so Chris Weidman's had a great career Reyes is very young in his career undefeated a former football player that came into this industry and I mean now he's got wins over Ovin St. Pru and Volcan Ozdemir two top guys at 205 and, and now he needs a, a big name on his resume so I'm interested to see if he gets it and we got a, a second main event too and Jeremy Stevens versus uh, Yair too so I'm excited for that Man, you know with this co-main event between Jeremy Stevens and Yair Rodriguez, a lot of bad blood. Uh, Jeremy Stevens has even gone as far as saying that he is going to kill Yair Rodriguez. And uh, to quote Kevin Lee, and I never thought I'd find myself quoting Kevin Lee ever, but I'm going to quote Kevin Lee real quick. The guy's had 30 fights, he's lost half of them, and he ain't killed a motherfucker yet. So, you know, it's just one of those things where, uh, you know, some boxer died a couple days ago, and you got you got the guy with the most losses in UFC history talking about someone dying. It's like, come on, man, let's, uh, let's be sportsmen here. You can say, I'm going to knock the kid out, but they'll say you're going to kill the guy. Well, you know, he I guess that he's referring to the way he knocks guys out occasionally, whether it be Josh Emmett, who at the time one might have said he was dead. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, a honey Jason, Rafael Dos Anjos, you know. But those have been, those are only three out of, you know, 30-something fights, so. Clear all the wars are getting to <laughs> Mr. Heathen's head. And, you know, uh, some people said that Jeremy quit. Some people said that he should have continued. Some people think Yair did it on purpose. Some people think Yair's a bitch and that he shouldn't have uh, got on Instagram and said all those things and when they saw each other in the hotel they had words and I'm glad they get to settle it this weekend. There needs to be a winner for that fight. Yeah, I just hope we have a nice clear winner with a definitive outcome. No bullshit. No need for a trilogy. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Yair was on the record to say I don't want to antagonize him too much. I just want him to <laughs> I just want him to show up. <laughs> yeah, just, just show up, Jeremy. No, but I can't wait for that. Obviously, the main event between Weidman and Reyes, what's so incredible about this fight is that you see a guy like Dominic Reyes, not only did he beat the two light heavyweights you were talking about, but he knocked out the number five middleweight on planet Earth, Jared Cannonier, who was out here doing big things. So he's fought middleweights before, fought light heavyweights, six foot five, former football player. Guy brings a lot to the table, but with Chris Weidman, Dominic Reyes has never been tested on the mat the way Chris Weidman wants to test him tomorrow in Beantown. It's going to be a big question if he's capable of doing that or not, but I'm very interested to see. We got a lot of new blood at 205. Some of them haven't been coming up successfully. Reyes is already number four in the world, so he's kind of already passed his events test beat of Volcanoes Demir. So if he can get this win, who knows, man? Maybe he's a, a win away from John Jones. Maybe he fights that winner of Johnny Walker and Corey coming up. So definitely. So before we break down this whole car start to finish, we just gotta let you guys know again about our sponsor, Flav CBD. Make sure you check them out at flavecbd.com. Use the promo code Battle to save 10% off any purchase and to produce the industry's purest and most potent broad spectrum CBD oil. Flav starts with 100% organic lab-tested cannabis that's certified to be the highest quality grown. Their broad-spectrum CBD oils preserve the complete cannabinoid and terrapine contents of the raw plant to magnify the therapeutic benefits of the plant's individual components in what's referred to as the entourage effect. So, in other words, uh, 
These guys got blueberry, mango, all the flavors you can think of, whether we're talking about the pens, whether we're talking about the gummies, the creams, the whole bit. My personal favorite, the blueberry gummies. Uh, what kind of flavor CBD products are you rolling with, Shaq? I'm liking my cotton candy these days. It's been doing the trick, and you just make sure you use that code uh, BATTLE for 10% off. Any, yes, sir. Any uh, Flav CBD products? FlavCBD.com. Make sure you hit them up. We love Flav. Uh, definitely gets the job done. And speaking of getting the job done, let's break this whole car start to finish, Shaq, because first up in the heavyweight division, we got the return of Daniel Spitz. He's 6-2. and two. And the UFC debutant, Tanner Bozer, is 16-5. and five. Currently, they got Tanner Bozer minus 120. The comeback on Daniel Spitz is plus 110. So Shaq is close to a pick -em. The lean's on Tanner Bozer. He's got the experience edge here. But Daniel Spitz has actually fought inside the UFC's octagon before. Daniel Spitz is also very tall for the weight class. He's six foot seven with an 82-inch reach. He's going to have a 5-inch height advantage. He's going to have a 7-inch reach advantage. Do you think he will be able to utilize that here against the newcomer, Tanner Bozer? Daniel Spitz came into the UFC, I think, at 4-0, 5-0, fought Mark Godbeer, took a tour of the octagon. It was on short notice at heavyweight. Spitz is a former football player, a D1 football player, an offensive lineman, in fact, and he's got offensive lineman cardio. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> he starts off really good uh, with his movement and his length. You know, it looks like a heavyweight cruise, and then, granted, it seems like as the fight progresses, he gets a little tired and starts getting well done. Granted, that was against uh, Walt Harris in one of those fights who is about to fight over him, possibly a top six, seven guy right there uh, in his last fight. So Tanner Bozer is definitely not capable of executing uh, the game plan to a T like uh, Walt did. So Tanner Bozer, I'll be honest, that guy is borderline. I mean, he should be fighting in NFC at Stinner Sage, you know what I'm saying, against Bolo and Brandon Sales. But he's just a journeyman heavyweight, man. He's tough, I guess, but he's slow. I guess you could say he's more consistent throughout the three rounds. I guess he can manage his cardio a little bit better. But Spitz is coming off a big layoff. It's been a, over a year since we've seen him. So maybe he shows up with some new skills. He's got the UFC experience. So I'll, I'll pick the dog in this one. I'll take Spitz by uh, a flute, some type of fluke KO situation. Bozer is a tough guy, but man, it's a 50-50 fight to me. No guy's got a real edge in this fight. Like I said, Bozer is a basically a punching bag he's tough spitz let's i'm just gonna guess that he looks a little bit better after this year off so i'll go with spitz spitz is an interesting cat because he's six foot seven at heavyweight d1 athlete correct yeah, D1 football. i mean so for the first minute of all his fights he looks like the heavyweight dominant cruz he's doing all that footwork but then you fast forward to a minute and a half and all of a sudden the guy can't keep it up no more so it's one of those things where if he could keep it up all three rounds i'd actually pick him in a good bit of his fights but since he can't it's kind of tough to rely on him and with Tanner Bozer I mean if you thought big country was bad <laughs> you know this is the Canadian big country the guy's missing a tooth I'm not sure how he got signed into the UFC uh there, there was a card in Canada they wanted a, a local Canadian heavyweight and the guy he was gonna fight was even oh my, oh my god goodness that Le guy my was, boy Lemos <laughs> that guy was complete shit <laughs> You know, it's one of those things where big countries in Bellator now, they need another fat guy with a mullet, and it's going to be fun while it lasts, I guess, but I'll go with Spitz as well. Next up in the middleweight division, we got Kevin Big Mouth Holland, he's 16-4, and four, and Brendan Allen Allen is 12-3. and three. Currently, they got Kevin Holland minus 155. The comeback on Brendan Allen is plus 145. Well, Shaq, this line opened minus 230 for Kevin Holland. All the action has been on the former LFA champion, Brendan Allen, who makes his UFC debut this weekend. Which middleweight prospect do you think gets the job done? Brendan Allen, he's a grappler. I kind of compare him to a Gerald Mercer. He likes to force the grappling, likes to get into these crazy scrambles. And if he can get a choke, 
or something along those lines, and he has a very good job. It seems like when he fights UFC-level opponents that he tends to struggle, whether it be Trevin Giles, whether it be Eric Anders, whether it be uh, Fluffy Hernandez. And not just losing the Fluffy Hernandez fight. I mean, that was kind of a uh, an egg performance from Brendan. I mean, I'd say the reason why things kind of got a little bit better for him now because he turned into the vet on the local scene. He had already lost to all the guys. You know, he had been in three or four fights where if he won, he would have gone to the UFC. He lost all those. Then now he's the vet fighting the the young prospects like these uh these borderline welterweights that he's out there fighting with no ground game. And that's why I feel like his uh, competition, that's why he got into the, the contender series. And Dana even said, giving this kid a contract that we need to take things very slow with Brendan because he's a very young kid. He's only 20. You could just tell by his fighting style if you put him in there and with certain guys that the kid might get severely hurt. And they were going to give him Eric Spicely. Eric's borderline harmless, you know. That's a good entry-level <laughs> UFC fight. <laughs> Another jiu-jitsu guy. So that's a good entry-level UFC fight. Now they're giving him Kevin Holland, who's already 3-1 and one with wins over DiCirico. Brendan's big brother, Gerald Merchart, went three rounds with Tiago Mejeda Santos and won a round. And oh. finished John Phillips, who is coming off one of the vicious KOs of the year, you know, so far. So Kevin Holland, in my opinion, I don't want to say his leaps and bounds ahead of Brendan Allen. But if he is focused, I think he is. The thing with Kevin is he has the tendency to play around a little bit, but I feel like Alessio DiCirico has a, a very hard right hand to make guys, you know, kind of fight him a little safe like we saw in his last fight. He had that kid on ice skates in the third round. In his other fights against Gerald Merchard, yeah, he, he definitely put himself in uh, bad positions, but what do you think, how much do you think better Brennan can do? Brennan is not as advanced as Merchard in my opinion. Merchard's <laughs> out here going to split with Anders, arguably winning, beating Pihota. Merchard's way more advanced. I just think he's way more advanced. I mean, Mershart's Brendan's coach. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So I think Kevin, if he shows up focused for this fight, man, I think he's got a favorable matchup on his hands. I don't think Brendan's on his level in any sense. of. I just don't think he's on his level, man, in any uh, department. On the feet, I think Kevin's got better kicks, better boxing, and he doesn't have that much of a threat in that department as well. This time, in comparison to the Mershards, the DiCiricos, and the Mahetta Santoses, and the John Phillips, you know what I'm saying? So I, I think this, uh, I kind of favor Kevin more towards the, to the opener. Like, he's more in that range, and I think he's going to come out here and actually get a finish of uh, Brendan Allen. I think Brendan's going to come out really hard in the grappling, but then gas out in his UFC debut, and Kevin will capitalize on a, what I called a nervous opponent, a guy that's never been there before, so I'll go with Kevin Holland. You mean a guy that's been sitting in the lobby all fight week <laughs> with his head down? No, but uh, it's just one of those things where you're telling me a guy that rolls for leg locks is going to beat Kevin Holland? I just really don't see it. I feel like Kevin Holland's jiu-jitsu is massively underrated. I feel like people sleep on it to a point because the guy's out here talking. He's out here putting on a show, so people kind of forget that he's actually a very skilled fighter. Not only that, the physical attributes, too. Six foot three with an 81-inch reach. I know Brendan Allen's a big boy. When's the last time he had a six-inch reach disadvantage in a fight? Not only that, the experience edge is huge. Plus, who's the tougher guy here? Kevin Holland is the tougher guy here. No doubt about it. I've never seen Kevin Holland break in a fight before. And even that fight with Rafael Lovato Jr. back in the day, and Rafael Lovato, the guy that dethroned Musasi over there in Bellator, Hey, he's learned from his mistakes. Since that point, he goes up against another black belt and Mearshart is in a bunch of deep guillotine attempts. And you saw Mearshart tap someone out with that same guillotine in subsequent fights. You saw the Trevin Giles fight. By the way, Trevin Giles also beat uh, Brendan Allen. <laughs> I mean, Kevin Holland's out here surviving these submission attempts like it's nothing, and they're deep, deep submission attempts that would have tapped other people. Uh, Proof, Trevin Giles. So 
man, I think Kevin Holland's on a different level. I think he's very composed on the mat, and I also think his length gives him a lot of edges here. When he starts to lock in chokes, you know, he can go for a guillotine from half guard, which is something you don't recommend. You recommend someone gets a full guard or a standing guillotine. This guy can go from half guard and get his arms around your neck because they're that damn long. And when you start to work on Brendan Allen, you start to put some pressure on the kid. You start to get past his physicality a bit. He will break. He will lay off his back. And once his sub attempts aren't working no more, then he, he turns in some red shirt. He's going to accept <laughs> defeat and uh, go home 0-1 for his UFC debut. So I'm going Kevin Holland here to defeat Brendan Allen. I'm going to say third round finish. Now next up in the welterweight division, we got Court McGee's 19-8 and and Sean Brady is 10-0. and Currently, they got Sean Brady minus 225. The comeback on Court McGee is plus 205. Well, Shaq, what's interesting about this to me is that, you know, Sean Brady is a guy that, you know, he's the former CFFC champ, went undefeated on the regional scene, but then you go back and you watch the fights and I got to say, I was kind of surprised that he's lying this high of a favorite in this spot. Now, I know that Court McGee is a little bit towards the tail end of his career. You could make an argument that he's on the decline. You can say his durability is waning. But, man, the experience this guy has compared to Sean Brady is massive. I mean, Court McGee has been fighting real fighters his entire career, whereas the best guy that Sean Brady has ever fought is Colton Smith. I don't know if you guys remember that guy, the guy that went uh, like one and three in the UFC and uh, Sean Brady eked out a decision over him. So it is, it's one of those things where I kind of feel like Sean Brady is too small for welterweight. I mean, he weighed in at 167 today. If that doesn't tell you he's too small for welterweight, but he's too fat for 155. So he kind of stands in this place I like to refer to as no man's land and it's going to be kind of tough but since he's fighting a declining aging fighter he might be able to squeak this one out I mean the thing with Brady is there's nothing spectacular about him he's kind of just methodical and I like the fact that you know he doesn't rush anything he doesn't keep his chin in the air he'll just kind of do what he has to do to get the job done and I think in the regional scene against these guys he's been fighting who won't fight back I think that's a perfect strategy but in the UFC it's going to be kind of tough but I do got to give Brady credit he's very heavy on top he's got good ground and pound but I'm still not convinced uh that he's quite at this level yet so I'm, I actually do think there's a dogger pass situation I'm gonna in fact go with the dog court McGee here it won't be surprising to see a younger guy beat court McGee I won't be shocked at all but based off the evidence and the footage I've seen I will go with Court McGee to out-volume Sean Brady for a decision. He makes some very good points. There was really nothing that special about Brady. He just seemed like a basic, average, strong uh, grappler that liked to ride out lower-level guys on the local scene. And Court McGee, the chances of you doing that to Court are very unlikely. The thing with Court McGee is, you know, he's lost three out of his last four. We know that Court, they call him the crusher. We know that uh, he'll move forward every time. He'll fight for your money. He'll work hard. He'll shoot the necessary takedowns. The thing is, it just seems like progressively he's not getting as effective with those. For example, he lost to Ben Saunders. Ben Saunders with no chin. Court McGee was a little too slow enough to even touch the chin of Ben Saunders. Then his fight with Diego Lima, I thought he lost every round in that fight. At least he didn't get knocked out. It's just kind of hard. It's kind of hard to, like you said, gain where Brady is at. There could be some value in court, but ultimately I think he loses just by being the slower, older guy. Probably plays out closer than the line, but I think Brady just ties him up a little cleaner. Maybe court wobbles once and Brady will get the win. Next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Randy Costa. He's 4-1 and one, and Boston Salmon is 6-2. and two. Currently, they got Boston Salmon minus 155. The comeback on Randy Costa is plus 145. Well, Shaq, me and you saw both these guys make their UFC debuts at UFC 236 in the ATL. Both got finished, but Randy Costa put up a little bit better of an effort there. Uh, Boston Salmon got ran through in the first 20 seconds. Well, he fought a better opponent. Huh? He did fight a better opponent, and uh, 
he he wasn't able he wasn't able to show that uh you know <laughs> you want to know something my boy Khalid Taha knocked him out faster than Errol Spence did so <laughs> now my question is uh who you got to go zero and two and who you got to go one and one. Yeah, it's a very uh, interesting fight because Randy Casa, let's be honest here, he's probably not ready for the UFC. I'm sure after that last fight with Brandon, he had to not do some soul searching, but his coaches probably told him, like, buddy, we need to be training, like, <laughs> you know, four times a day because we got a lot of ground to make up. But I like this opponent. You know, this opponent for him, Boston Salmon, is also kind of in a similar boat, very young, uh, very green. If you watch his fight with Tercio, Boston had some very good hands in the first two rounds, but when shit hit the fan in that third one, he kind of was looking a little bit timid. So you kind of saw the hole in his game that maybe Boston Salmon is a guy that could potentially be broken. And then he fought Khalid Taha off a serious layoff off of ACL surgery. Sometimes we, we've seen in the past guys coming off these ACL uh, big knee surgeries, they uh, they come back and uh, they get ran through the first fight, you know, whether it be a, a Benavidez against Sergio. <laughs> uh, we just saw this past weekend, Elliot was coming off an of ACL injury and he lost in the first round. Um, sometimes it happens, maybe he got Kalitaha. I mean, we saw in his fight with Bruno, I mean, he was cracking him right at the beginning of the rounds and dropping him. So Kalitaha... It's very hard, um, and he wasn't ready to go. Randy Costa, to get submitted by Brandon Davis, I get that Brandon, uh, he dropped Brandon about two or three times. I mean, the kid definitely has a puncher's chance in this fight because from the feels of it, we can kind of see that Boston Salmon might have a questionable chance, especially coming off this last fight, and Randy Costa hits very hard, and he puts a lot of pressure on you early. While the kid's fresh, he will try to come after you, so Boston Salmon, I think that if he weathers the storm and he extends Randy Costa, that maybe his better boxing will show through out the fight while because Randy Costa when you think about it he's not he's done nothing from a fatigue state that was the first time he was ever in a fatigue state in any of his fights he ran through a bunch of peanut and snow cone vendors out there in Boston he never was in a real fight he's never won a fight or done anything in a fatigue tired state Boston Salmon has so I slightly lean him from a betting perspective I wouldn't play Salmon just because it is chalk and the kid is very greeny and I do think he has a suspect chin but I just my gut tells me that Randy's just quite not ready for the UFC I think it'll probably have a uh, a better performance here maybe but i think that if boston salmon extends him that he will win this fight look i'm not even gonna front i i drank the kool-aid on boston salmon's last fight thought he had all these great boxing credentials even was under the impression that he went the distance in a loss to errol spence but later on we find out he got knocked the fuck out by errol spence and we gotta wish a quick recovery to my boy errol spence but not to mention that after I had already picked Boston Salmon, then we go and hear his interviews, and he's talking about how he doesn't even care what happens in this fight, and this and that. I was like, oh my god. And with Randy Costa, he might only be 4-1, but the kid comes to fight. And one thing in that Brandon Davis fight, it seemed like he seemed like he might have had some kind of leg injury or a knee injury early on in that fight, and he was still dropping the guy multiple times. So while they both have a long room to grow, I actually think the more confident guy right now is probably Randy Costa. I'm going to pick him to come out here and knock out Boston Salmon. Now, next up in the featherweight division, we got Kyle Bochniak. He's 8-4, and four, and Sean Woodson is 6-0. and oh. Currently, they got Kyle Bochniak, minus 135. The comeback on Sean Woodson is plus 125. Well, Shaq, you know uh, about my boy Kyle Bochniak from Boston, known for going to close decisions. This kid, Sean Woodson... One via flying knee knockout on contender series. He's six, he's six foot three at 145 pounds, undefeated. Who do you think gets it done? Bosniak, he's two and four in the UFC. Uh, came in 6-0. and And Woodson is a very green opponent in his fight with McKinney on Contender Series. I mean, let's be honest. He was getting low-key mollywopped. He was low-key losing that entire fight. He gets up, but the kid stayed in it. And he gets up, lands that flying knee. And with that 6'3 frame at 145 pounds, 
if that kid can stay upright, he is a match-up nightmare for guys, especially uh, with the height of Boshniak. Pretty much, Boshniak better be hugging this kid the entire time because one little mistake on the outside, a duck down the wrong way, uh, or if he gets a little bit tired from the grappling, if, if Woodson comes forward, he's 6'3", and Boshniak's, what, 5'6", 7"? He'll shit his pants if Woodson comes forward on him. I think that Boshniak, yeah, he has shown that he can wrestle against guys like Brandon Davis. He took down Hakeem Dewadu in his last fight, but took down Charles Rosa as well, so, but uh, all those guys did get back up on him, but Woodson kind of really hasn't shown, but I'll be honest with you, the Terrence McKinney, the Terrence McKinney guy, I know... Boshniak's got the experience over all these kids, but man, Boshniak really, in my opinion, just the way the featherweight division is nowadays, man, he just doesn't really have any athletic traits. He doesn't really, he's a tough kid, that's it, and he's experienced. But when you describe guys as just tough and experienced, you know, and they're already two and four, they lose more fights than they win. <laughs> I think he's a decent boxer, just decent everywhere. He doesn't really hold guys down, but he can use the, the game plan to maybe eke out a decision, but man, Woodson, he hasn't really shown me the proof, but man, I I got a feeling that since uh, this contender series fight, he went to James Krause's gym. I think that they they probably obviously been working. He's got good guys that good guys to train it with, aka Grant Dawson, you know, to work uh work that takedown defense. So I think he's gonna come out here, maybe get held against the fence for a little bit, but I think it's gonna tire Boshniak. I feel like Boshniak's basically hit a plateau. I just think that what's the guy really got? I know he's tough, but when you really think about it, he's two and four. One of those wins was vit. A lot of people thought El Fuerte won, and the other one was against a guy that's not no longer going to be in the UFC anymore. So Boshniak had a good run. He got his 50 Gs against Zabit. The journeyman got to have his uh, day there, but I, I think this matchup might uh, might be kind of tailor-made for Woodson to come in here and get an upset win. You know, I feel like Boshniak, he's not strong enough, in my opinion, to hold down Woodson. I think the length to hold a guy that long down is going to be trouble for him. I think McKinney was a way better athlete, way faster, way more powerful, had more uh, more intimidating factors to really put Woodson on his back foot that I don't think Boshniak has. So I think McKinney could honestly get signed here in a, in a you know in a fight or two. So I'm going to go with Woodson in an upset. I think he eventually clears uh Boshniak's grappling and wins the, the second and third round with his teeps. Maybe a near there, a high kick, and I think he uh, moves on to 6-0 and or 7-0. and Look, this kid, uh, this kid, Sean Woodson, has a lot of physical advantages in this fight. 8-inch reach advantage, 7-inch height advantage, undefeated. It's going to be interesting. He's coming in here with a lot of confidence. But with Kyle Boshniak, definitely has the experience edge, but, man, we got to... We got to give him a little criticism, man. Negative, uh, negative strike ratio, which means he gets hit more than he lands. That's not a good thing ever. His striking accuracy is pretty trash, <laughs> and uh, the takedown accuracy ain't on point either. So it's one of those things where, you know, Bochniak is an average fighter, but at least he's been in there with real guys before. Whereas uh, Woodson has only fought two guys with winning records in his whole career. So not saying Woodson can't come out here and win this fight because he absolutely can and I think his finished product will be better than Kyle Bochniak but man at this point in time he might be a little bit too green I mean that contender series fight he got 10-8 in the first round he got dominated in the second round until he got back up lands one flying knee the fight's over it's like you got you got your ass beat for eight minutes props to you for landing the the shot that ended the fight but I mean, how often can you rely on a guy to get beat and then have a comeback win? I just don't know if that's going to be really realistic here against an experienced guy. So it might be a dogger pass situation, but I'm going to edge Bochniak to win two of three rounds and 
get this decision here. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got Molly McCann. She's 9-2. And, and Deanna Belbita is 13-4. and four. Currently, they got Molly McCann, minus 570. The comeback on Deanna Belbita is plus 480. Well, man, I got to give Molly McCann so much credit, dude, because uh, this is someone where she was coming into the UFC hyped to a point where she was a massive favorite over Julian Robertson in the UK. I mean, I know you remember the kind of shit she was talking before that fight. And then she got smoked. You know, she was left face first, out cold on the canvas. And, you know, that's where the whole, you know, Molly the Can McCann joke came from. But, man, to to sit, to sit here and still call her that would be very inaccurate because this lady has proven herself to me. She's overcome the adversity of her first fight, come back, and win her next two very impressively. And especially the last one against Arianne Lipsky as a big dog, which Shaq successfully cashed. Man, she looked like little Frankie Edgar out there mixing in the boxing to the takedown attempts. I was very impressed with the well-rounded game of Molly McCann. And when, when I talk about someone like Ariane Lipsky, you know Deanna Belbita is one of Ariane Lipsky's first-round victims, right? So I'm just saying, man, uh, unless Belbita gets some armbar from guard or some fluke sub, Molly McCann is not just going to win this fight but dominate it. I got meatball Molly McCann here for a very emphatic victory in Boston. I agree with Molly being the biggest favorite on the card. Molly, she was just talking too much ahead of the Jillian fight. She came in, missed weight, got tapped out, like you said, unconscious. Uh, and then the Priscilla Cachoeira fight, it was almost like a completely different chick. The footwork was on point. The takedowns were on point. And she uh, she dominated uh, Priscilla Cachoeira for the most part, except that last round. And then Lipsky, that was a uh, 30-27. So Molly McCann has all the skills to at least be a top 20 to 25 girl. I think she's very well-rounded. She was super hyped coming in. She just got a little carried away in that one fight. And uh, she learned her lesson. And she's been looking better ever since. And this Deanna Belbita girl, three of her last four wins are against 0-0 girls. When she was 9-0, she lost to a 3-1 opponent by guillotine, you know, in the first round. So you can't script you this know, stuff. I think Molly McCann comes out here and pulls off a typical little meatball ass whooping and punishes the girl. So I'll go with meatball Molly. And next up in the featherweight division, although this is a catchweight, you got Manny Bermudez. He's 14 and 1. And Charles Boston Strong Rosa is 11 and 3. Currently, they got Manny Bermudez minus 145. The comeback on Charles Rosa is plus 135. Well, Shaq, Manny Bermudez had to move up to featherweight from Bantamweight because he kept missing weight for Bantamweight. Well, now he just missed weight for his featherweight debut. Do you think despite three straight weight misses in a row that he comes out here and gets the job done against the guy coming off the two-year layoff? Man, Manny... Manny, man, that's not a good sign. You moved up a weight class and you missed and you missed weight there too. That means he pretty much just got carried away to a point with the ten extra pounds and was just like, oh, I'll make it, you know. <laughs> Pizza on fight week. <laughs> I had a burrito. <laughs> I <ate> Chipotle. <laughs> I couldn't make it, but man, this is not a good sign for Manny in my opinion. Now, Charles Rosa, I'll give you a good comparison. He fights like Elias, you know. I call him Boston Elias. The guy's <laughs> out here flailing his arms around and throwing his little side kicks and his hands have no pop on him at all, you know. He, let's be honest here, Rosa hits off, you know, but he's a hard worker. The kid will never quit. He's going to try his fucking hardest, you know. He's going to be exhausted at the end of the fight because he's going to work really hard. The Burgos fight, Burgos is a hundred times better than him, and Burgos, Burgos won the first round. That second round, Burgos was whooping his ass as well, but then it seemed like towards the end, Rosa's just nonstop flailing and sidekicks his activity, made the round seem a lot closer, but eventually Eventually, he did get knocked out in the last round, but his activity did get him a, a decision win over Kyle Boschniak. And now he's coming off a layoff. I heard he's coming off a neck injury, a string of injuries. So, 
It's going to be interesting to see. He is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. Manny is more of a submission guy. And Manny, this is not a good sign because I, every time Manny fights, I bring up this one guy that I compare him to, and that's Josh Grisby. What was similar, Josh Grisby was subbing a bunch of guys in the first round unconscious, and then he took a loss, and then he started missing weight. He started <laughs> losing all his fights. So Manny, he was able to run through all those guys, Davy Grant, in the first round. He was able to submit Benito Lopez in the first round. But then when he fought a guy, with grappling chops and Casey Kinney. Casey was able to stay out the subs. Manny had him in all the sub positions, but he wasn't able to actually submit him, and he got pushed, and Casey was able to win two of the three rounds. Now, one thing I liked was Manny didn't quit. Manny actually came back in the third round and to win that round and was almost on the verge of knocking out Casey Kinney, but now that he's missed weight again at 145 pounds, it's kind of, it's kind of, I'm kind of questioning the mindset of Manny Bermudez right now. Did this kid get a little carried away on this win streak when he was on the UFC top prospect list, and is this starting to get to his head man because i do have a feeling that if this becomes a real war if this becomes if he can't get the subs if rose is a little slippery and he's slipping out of things that maybe uh, Rosa might be able to outwork him, man, especially now that he's missed weight. So I know he's won and missed weight before against Benito Lopez, but he was lying. He opened like minus 270-something in that fight. So, I mean, maybe that was a situation where he just wasn't going to lose at all in this spot. He opened minus 175, so they, they feel like Rosa has a, a slightly better chance. So it's going to be interesting, man. I'll pick Bermudez, but it's not a very confident pick, man. Him moving up a weight class and missing weight like that isn't a good sign. It just lets you know that there's something wrong in his preparation for this uh, these last few weeks. And like I said, if the kid gets pushed and if he can actually... If not, if uh, Rosa can actually stay out of the subs, I'll tell you, Rosa's got more heart than him. So uh, I'll pick Bermudez by sub, but I would say Rosa is a very live dog. I think it's one of those things where Bermudez, uh, he was like, man, my weight is so low. I can I can eat a 555 to myself on fight week. You know, he ordered himself a whole box of pizza and then he wonders why, uh, <laughs> wonders why the scale didn't say 46, you know, so... But look, as far as his matchup is concerned, I, I love the the Charles Rosa Elias comparison. I never even thought of that because they look nothing alike in terms of how they look, like you know, physically. But then when you see Charles Rosa strike, I was like, holy shit, he really does fight just like Elias, man. Uh, you don't really have to worry about Charles Rosa knocking anyone out or anything like that. You just have to worry about gassing out against him because he's going to be there the entire time. And when he starts throwing 30 strikes at the air and you're huffing and puffing, that's when he's able to go out there and win a decision. Just ask Kyle Bochniak. So... One thing I want to talk about, though, obviously, I, I got to give uh, Charles Rosa a lot of credit because the guy is a Michelin-rated chef. That means that uh, this guy knows how to cook, and I would love to go to one of his restaurants, get a nice filet, medium rare. But as far as the fighting is concerned, so I hear that Charles Rosa is a black belt, and I got so much respect for anyone that's made it to black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. But here, here are my questions. We're talking about a black belt that got dominated on the mat by Dennis Seaver. We're talking about a black belt that fought a very green Yair, one fight removed from the ultimate fighter, and Yair's out here sweeping him with ease, getting him in almost fully locked in triangle chokes, which by the way, is Bermuda's signature move. We're talking about a black belt that got taken down with ease by Kyle Bochniak, and we're talking about a black belt that couldn't take down Shane Burgos. And I want to bring that up because a lot of people are out here saying this whole narrative about how Charles Rosa was up 2 nothing versus Shane Burgos, which is the biggest bullshit I've ever heard in my life. I mean, what fight were you watching? The first round was clearly Burgos, and the second round, I mean, 
It's obvious Burgos is the better fighter. He likes to fuck around a bit. I mean, if you want to be nice, you can say it's 1-1 going to the third. But I personally had it 2-0 Burgos. But if you want to be nice, 1-1. And then he knocks him out in the third round like it was nothing. I mean, he hit him so hard. The guy did a backward somersault. So I, I just uh, don't really take much solace by the fact that Shane Burgos fought like an idiot, which he tends to do in most of his fights. I mean, you guys know Shane Burgos could have ran through Cub Swanson as well. One judge had it 30-27 Swanson. You know Shane Burgos could have ran through Kurt Hollibo as well. He keeps his hands down he gets dropped in the first round so Shane Burgos likes to play games you guys know that already uh, look out for his fight against Makwan Amirkani but as far as Charles Rosa and Manny Bermudez is concerned this might be a controversial take here but even though Manny Bermudez is a purple belt and Charles Rosa is a black belt. I actually think for MMA, Manny Bermudez has the better grappling here. And I'm not saying that if they put on the gi with no strikes involved that, that Manny would win. I'm saying with the four-ounce gloves, no shirt, shorts, UFC rules, that Manny Bermudez is going to beat Charles Rosa on the mat and on the feet. It's just about not gassing out and letting this guy get off on his sidekicks, his punches to the airs, his spins, the whole bit. So I think if Manny Bermudez doesn't come out here and do something stupid, which he already did today by missing weight up a weight class, I think Bermudez probably does win this fight, and it would not surprise me if he became the first man to submit Charles Rosa either. But I'm going to pick him to win the decision. Now, Shaq, speaking of guys that missed weight, next up in the middleweight division, or the catchweight between... Actually, next up in the Franklin weight division, because I know you remember back when my boy Rich Franklin was taking all these fights at 195 pounds and the whole bit, you know, the fight with Vanderlei Silva. There were a couple other ones, maybe even the Vitor fight. The Vitor fight was at 85s, but my boy, my boy Rich Franklin had a couple fights at like 190 and 195. We used to call it Franklin weight. But anyways, we got Darren Winnie 6-0, and and Darren the Dentist Stewart is 10-4. and Currently, they got Deron Wynn, minus 120, and Darren Stewart is plus 110. Well, Shaq, uh, you got a five foot four middleweight, who missed weight, by the way, in Deron Wynn here. And, uh, man, I mean, the guy's got the combinations. He looks like a little Mike Tyson when he's out there throwing, but holy shit, is he susceptible to big knees up the middle? And when you talk about Darren Stewart, uh, we're not exactly worried about his jujitsu game. We're more worried about him landing a big elbow behind the ear. Who do you think gets it done here? Yeah, it's a very good fight. Deron Wynn actually opened minus 170. There's Darren Stewart action. Darren Stewart handled Bayvon Lewis in his last fight as an underdog. Gave Edmund Shabazian quite a, a very tough fight. No, Edmund Shabazian's out here running through guys, but Stewart, he was a, he was a little timid of his uh, Stewart's power. You know, he was on his legs. And that third round, let's just be honest, Edmund was out here looking for every and which way out, you know? so One judge thought Darren Stewart beat Edmund Shabazian. <laughs> so Stewart's a very, you could say, an underrated guy now. Win and his fight with Spicely. It was a very good fight. Spicely took the fight on short notice. I actually bet on Duran when, you know, just thinking that it's Spicely. Spicely. It's harmless. I mean, you know, it's fucking Spicely, bro. <laughs> What's he gonna do? <laughs> um, and I'll tell you what, man. Spicely, for the most part, got his ass beat, but like you said, the, the big thing we saw was the knees in the middle. Now, Duran Wynn, I feel like in his debut, he was exaggerating everything. He was probably looking for the big first round KO, and the way that his punches come from the angle is very hard because he's so short and he already has that uh, world-class wrestling. I mean, you got to respect his shots. So, you know, him faking low and then coming up high, the dude swinging very heavy. I mean, he's got a lot of power in that small, uh, <laughs> chunky little frame. And uh, the dude might translate to a vicious KO. 
KOs down the line. He's very young in his career. He's only got six, seven fights. Six. Six fights. We know that he's one of these competitors, one of DC's little call him they call him mini DC, you know? <laughs> that's what the, that's what his nickname is. That's what uh Ariel calls him. His wrestling credentials. I've seen him out here suplexing gigantic Russians before. So Duran Wynn, I would say, has the credentials of a guy that would generally you would think would outwill Darren Stewart. But I'll tell you what, Darren Stewart's make been making gains fight to fight. I mean, you can't he's really fast. I think he's got a speed advantage here. It's just a matter of what happens when one of those big overhand rights uh, land on his face because Wynn has a lot of power in that frame. But the thing is, like we saw earlier, Wynn missed weight by a few pounds, and he's only 5'5". Five, five. We were, we were thinking that maybe the kid could drop to 70s. Well, we, we, uh, now he gets 150K bonus all of a sudden as Popeye's on now, fight week. Now, now we're missing weight here, kid? Like, wow. And I'll tell you what, when they, when, uh, after he beat Spicely, because we know Stewart knocked out Spicely as well, he sent Spicely his walking papers. But, uh, Duran Wynn immediately called Stewart out, and Stewart said he started it, and I'm going to finish it. I feel like Duran Wynn probably down the line probably projects better but honestly i i question that be just because the height and i feel like if he gets up in competition i mean he's gonna be fighting six two six one guys i mean you don't think those guys are gonna grab plum and just knee him like you know what i'm saying and it seems like he's really caught up in the boxing aspect of mma too it seems like this guy is going to be one of those wrestlers. You know how Gray Maynard was an all-American wrestler, but for whatever reason, like later on in his uh, prime, he just wanted to be a boxer and he kept getting knocked out, you know? Because he dropped Frankie like five, <laughs> he dropped, ten I'm times. I'm a boxer now. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I feel like Deron wins one of those guys. He's going to be more of a boxer in MMA just because his hips are so much shorter than the other guys. It's going to be hard for him to, I don't know if he's going to have the cardio to wrestle guys for three rounds. He might have a tough time. 85s actually now that i think about it i mean the sad thing about it is usually when guys miss weight they make them move up a weight you're gonna send a yeah, five foot four guy to 205 <laughs> <laughs> like we can't send him to 205 like, who, who you got between osp and Duran? oh my god <laughs> osp options? would literally be like <laughs> <laughs> but man so i'm actually gonna go with darren stewart here in the upset i think that stewart's gonna look a little better i feel like his confidence is getting a lot better now that he's not working a full-time job on the side of fighting i mean up until his last fight he was working a full-time job his last fight was the first time he uh that he was a full-time fighter and i feel like he could have had a better performance but bayvon lewis i mean he was just timid he was kind of backing away and bayvon lewis is super athletic i mean the guy is a serious athlete so you're saying Bayvon Lewis isn't 5'4". Yeah. <laughs> Darren Seward's going to come out here, weather the storm or win. I think win's going to come out really hard early with his boxing combinations, but I feel like with that extra weight and his already small frame, if Stewart can just make him work a little bit, get him in that clinch, land some elbows around his ear, because Stewart's got a really fast elbow. Potentially a knee in the, in the clinch, I feel like he has the power to knock Duran Wynn out, not a guy like Eric Spicely. And I think Dar Darren Stewart is going to trend more upwards in the 185-pound division. Man, this is interesting because in the in the original trash talk, Darren Wynn was pointing to the mental. He said he had a huge mental edge. He said that he's going to take Darren Stewart to the deepest part of the ocean, and uh, Darren Stewart's going to need to bring his floaties. Well, the fight hasn't even started yet, and one guy uh, had to walk out the sauna, and it wasn't Darren Stewart. So when we're talking about the deepest part of the ocean, Darren Wynn wasn't willing to go to the deepest part of the ocean during the weight cut earlier today. So listen, I actually think Darren, Darren Wynn is a lot better than Darren Stewart everywhere. It's just that, once again, I have to keep bringing it up. The guy's five foot four, and he's fighting at middleweight. 
you know, size matters, man. And uh, not saying that he could make 70, he'd have to probably cut off a leg. The guy's huge in terms of muscle got, mass and all know, that. We know he likes to eat his Popeyes like DC. That, yeah. That's what it is. And I mean, dude, also, you're DC's protege. You don't know You don't know about the towel trick? Like, you, you couldn't make <laughs> weight? didn't show you the towel trick, Like, bro? dude, you're a world team member. You don't know about the towel trick? Like, come on now. Like, whatever it takes to make the weight. So... Look, as far as the fight's concerned, again, I think Daron Wynn is a much better fighter, much better fighter than Darren Stewart everywhere. His boxing combinations are cleaner. Obviously, the wrestling, we don't got to mention that. But that being said, man, he's so readily available for to get hit because he's so damn small that uh, if he doesn't come out here and break Darren Stewart, which I think he can because if Darren Stewart doesn't knock him out, then I do think Daron can take it to deep waters. But somewhere along the way, whether it's an elbow to the back of the ear, where whether it's a left hook, a knee up the middle, which is the thing we've really seen on the tape, I'm starting to lean more towards Darren Stewart as well, actually. I was initially going to go with Daron Wynn, but seeing a guy like that who's talking about this big mental edge, miss weight, that kind of makes me flip my pick. Plus the size, I'm going to go with Darren Stewart via knockout. Now, next up in the flyweight division, we got Macy Barber. She's 7-0, and Jillian Robertson is 7-3. Currently, they got Macy Barber minus 130. The comeback on Jillian Robertson is plus 120. Well, Shaq had originally opened minus 175 for Macy Barber. Line margins have tightened up. More action coming in on Jillian Robertson. But now that they've weighed in, the action's coming back in on Macy Barber. She definitely seems like the more physical lady here, but Jillian Robertson is a specialist on the mat. Who do you think gets it done? Yeah, this is a very intriguing matchup. Jillian Robertson. Robertson, she's the specialist of the 125-pound division. If she can get on top of you, then she usually gets her submission. She just outgrappled a, a black belt and Sarah Frota. But, uh, you know, a juiced-up black belt. A juiced-up black belt, but... If you watch Sheriff Frota's fights in the past, you know that she gives up a lot of easy takedowns. I mean, even back in her fights in that Super Fight League that her and uh, Mamouche was fighting, and she would give up easy takedowns in all her fights. So I don't know how much necessarily how much stock to uh, put in. No, I'm not going to not put stock into the win, but taking down Sarah Frota might not be the hardest thing to do in the world, you know? <laughs> and now Macy Barber, on the other hand, knocked out J.J. Aldridge in her last fight on the feet. I mean, we don't really see standing TKOs in the female divisions like that. So Macy Barber, I would say, has a lot of power for the female divisions, especially moving up from 115s up to 125s. The only thing Macy needs to chill out is is on this Wiley Zhang and uh, <laughs> in this Valentina talk because you put her in there with Wiley Zhang or Valentina and you might have your first death in the end. <laughs> Jeremy Stevens might be narrating, you know what I'm saying? She, she don't die, don't care. <laughs> but uh, the big question is, we really haven't seen Macy in too many grappling positions. She seems like she's a somewhat disciplined striker for the for the female divisions, but she's only been in there with Hannah Cyphers and J.J. Aldridge, and Jillian Robertson already submitted Hannah Cyphers back in the day. Jillian's, like I said, the, the specialist of, of the division, and that's the big question. That's why, personally, from a betting perspective, even though it would seem that, man, this line on Barbara has come all the way down, it's kind of like Dern and Rebos in a sense. Like, is she really all that, though? Like, Dern, I know she was 2-0. She had the KO win over Bobby Cooper, and she had a tough uh, decision win. But is she really all that? And she got uh, crept up on him. She got her ass beat. <laughs> so Macy Barber is a little more well-rounded than uh, Jillian Robertson when you include that she's got vicious ground and pound. I mean, she left Hannah Cyphers in a pool of blood. I didn't even like watching that. I was like, yo, like, don't do that to my girl Hannah, bro. Like, that was that was sad. <laughs> and uh, JJ Aldridge was on her knees hugging her face. And we saw in that fight with Myra Bueno back in the Myra Shitara Bueno back in the day uh, when uh, Jillian Robertson got hit in the face. I mean, she kind of just forced more takedowns, wasn't really setting them up. She really doesn't throw much punches on the feet. So I feel like if Macy can keep this fight 
right on the feed that there's a very good chance that she puts the fear in Jillian to make her make a, a mistake. And with the girls that she's been, that Jillian's been fighting lately, that those girls really can't, don't have the power to really inflict that when we're talking about Veronica Macedo. And like I said, Sarah Frota gives up a bunch of takedowns in all her fights. Um, Emily Whitmire and Molly McCann, you know, and Molly McCann was talking a lot going into that fight, like I said. Macy Barber is probably going to come out here and get this win. It's not a very confident pick, but I just think she's got more tools to win this fight. I feel like that training at Rufus Bowen and Mr. Vanderlei that her uh, that she's going to be ready to go in the jiu-jitsu department. I feel like Jillian's going to be relying on only that. And if that does not work out, she's going to be in big trouble. Man, interesting fight. I'm very excited about it. Macy Barber has definitely uh, proven the hype right as of yet. You know, you know, so far, very physical for the weight class, a lot of power, and very, very confident as well, which goes a long way in that weight class, especially just in the sport. She's a very confident young lady. And now, like you said, she's training with Professor Daniel Vanderlei, so you know her jiu-jitsu is going to be getting better. But I don't think a couple months of training with Professor Vanderlei is going to be enough to come out here and survive on the mat if this does hit the spots that Julian wants to take it to. And interestingly enough, with Jillian Robertson, you guys remember back on Tough when my boy Eddie Alvarez said, if she doesn't get her sub, she'll quit. And, you know, that kind of proved to be right in the UFC and the fights that she didn't win. But at the same time, I got to give her credit for the improvements she's made since that loss to Bueno Silva because she goes out there against uh, Macedo and Froda. And even though those are, you know, lower level fighters, man, you know, for someone who wasn't willing to throw their hands at all that ground and pound finish against uh, Sarah Froda was vicious and Sarah Froda is allegedly a black belt as well so I, I was like okay you know she's been showing improvement and on the feet you know she's not really flailing as much anymore now she's kind of maneuvering you know not throwing any punches at all keeping her chin down circling 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 waiting for the opportunity for her opponent to throw a strike duck under take her down and take it from there. And when Jillian Robertson's on the mat, she will run girls through that series. Uh, and if you can't survive it, you will be tapping the mat. You might go to sleep unconscious. And for Macy Barber, while I do think she's the more physical girl here, she's going to be a lot bigger than Jillian Robertson, we really haven't seen her tested on the mat at all. J.J. Aldrich didn't test her on the mat. Hannah Cyphers didn't test her on the mat. That girl on Contender Series, I mean, Daniel Taylor knocked that girl out, so come on now. <laughs> uh, so I think this is going to be the first time she gets tested on the mat. And whether she's ready to, to survive and thrive, I don't know at this point. So I'm going to have to see for myself. I'm going to pick Jillian Robertson here. I think she ducks under a big strike, takes her down, passes, takes her back, chokes her out. I'm going to go with Jillian Robertson here via submission. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Joe J-Lo Lozon. He's 27 and 15. And Jonathan J.S.P. Pierce is 9 and 3. Currently, they got Jonathan Pierce minus 150. The comeback on Joe Lozon is plus 140. Well, uh, Shaq... Earlier in this breakdown, you were talking about how that fight between Macy Barber and Hannah Cyphers was really hard to watch. And speaking of fights that were really hard to watch, Joe Lozon's last three fights were extremely hard to watch, especially the Clay Guida and Chris Gritzmacher fights, which, by the way, we did cash on Chris Gritzmacher at Dog Odds. But now you took an 18-month layoff. That is way over a year. A year and six months to be exact. Do you think a year and a half is enough to kind of offset that trauma extreme damage he took against Gritzmacher where they had to throw in the towel and not let him go back out there for the third round? Joe Lazan, like I said before his last fight, if you go back and listen to that breakdown, definitely felt like it was a good spot for Gritzy to come in and get the win. Gritzy 
going into that fight had already been submitted twice. Granted, it was against Chas Kelly and Davi Ramos, but we gave them both good fights. Gritzmacher was, uh, had some UFC experience. Jonathan Pierce really doesn't. He's only got the contender series fight. And, uh, Jonathan Pierce, I mean, this kid started off 4-0, then loses three in a row, and then goes on a, another four-fight win streak, and now he's, uh, in the UFC. And I'll tell you what, the kid definitely leaves himself open, uh, for counters. If the kid can stay conscious, I'll, he definitely has a way better cardio than Joe Lazan. One thing Joe Lazan's always been questioned for is his cardio and his chin progressively. So you can arguably say Lazan's lost his last five fights. The one win in there was against Marching Held, in which a lot of, I mean, Joe Lazan even admitted on the mic that he lost that fight. And we just know that he's been taking a lot of damage, man. And the Gritzmacher fight just was brutal. And he had every opportunity. I mean, Let's not act like Gritz doesn't block punches with his face, you know? Let's not act like Gritz wasn't submitted twice before that. I just think that, like, after that fight, I said Lazan should never fight. I know he's taking the 18-month layoff, but I feel like he's just coming back because of the Boston environment, also the money. He hasn't had a paycheck in a, in a little while, and I just think Pierce is going to be too fast, too hungry for him. The opening stages of the fight are going to be uh, a little, but at the same time, I just have serious doubts that Lozon can take a punch. I mean, when you look at that Stevie Ray fight, uh, he actually won the first round, but then Stevie Ray is as slow as molasses. But then those last two rounds, Stevie absolutely just hit him with a too many significant strikes. Then you take a first-round KO against Clay Guida, who ain't known for knocking guys out. You know, I know it's Clay Guida, the name and all, but... <laughs> you mean the guy that broke RDA's jaw? <laughs> yeah. And beat Diaz out. and Pettis, but too? But have you ever seen him hit, drop someone with a fucking overhand right and knock them out? Like, fucking never. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, a ground and pound stoppage, maybe a, re a wrestle fuck, but overhand right <laughs> knockout? You don't see that from Clay Guida too often. I mean, the guy lost a round to BJ Penn. In 2019. <laughs> In 2019. Um, and then the fight who going into that fight i mean the shit that i was hearing gritzmacher is the biggest bum to ever hit the ufc gritzmacher's you know a punching bag this and that yeah you guys were right but he still whooped lozon's ass so i gotta go with jsp here i think he's too young too fresh not as much damage taken i think as long as he doesn't get fluke finished in the first minute or two that he'll make lozon tire and the pace that he put on that kid in the second round on contender series something similar to that i could see lozon going down to that but if he doesn't, I, I could see his corner stopping it as well, you know, like they did the last fight. You remember when Joe Lozon fought in Boston against Gabe Rudiger and absolutely destroyed him in the first round? Those were good times. And, you know, also the win against Melvin Guillard at UFC 136, finished him in under a minute. Those were good times. Uh, I'm a fan of Joe Lozon. Look, as far as his matchup is concerned, when I heard Joe Lozon had a fight, I was like, oh, we're max bet fading Joe Lozon. You know, I, I fade Joe Lozon every fight now, you know, especially that Gritzmacher fight. It's, you know, the guy shouldn't be fighting anymore. But then uh, I found out it was JSP. And I know Jonathan Pierce a long time because, you know, he actually turned down a fight with one of our lightweights. If you know our only lightweight that we sponsor, then you know exactly who I'm talking about. He turned a fight down with him. I don't blame him. He would have gotten knocked out in that fight. Not to mention this guy has a loss to one of the worst fighters I've ever seen in my life, Peter Petty's two years ago. So I'm not that high on JSP at all. And uh, I watched his contender series fight against a guy that would have zero business in the UFC. And in that first round, man, JSP was eating some very hard shots, which leads me to, to ask the question. We all know Joe Lozon comes out hard in that first round, even his last fight against Gritzmacher. He was landing a bunch of shots. Gritzmacher has an amazing chin. This kid, JSP, has had his jaw broken before. That's documented fact. I'm not convinced that JSP is going to come out here and survive these shots. That being said, if this fight is going to go into the second round, go ahead and lie
live bet Jonathan Pierce. If this goes to the third round, go ahead and live bet Jonathan Pierce because we all know, historically speaking, Joe Lozon doesn't have shit in the second and third rounds, not just now, but even in his prime as well. I, I know you guys uh, remember all those fights. You guys remember that Sam Stout fight, what happened when that shit went past the first round? So it's going to be the same story here if it goes past the first. The thing is, I really wanted to come out here and bet JSP and fade Lozon, but I'm not convinced like on the inside that this kid gets past the first round with Lozon in Boston. Uh, I'm just really not. But if he does, you better go ahead and live bet him at the window because Lozon's got nothing in that second and third. But I think he's going to come out hard here. Man, I actually think he comes out here and knocks out Jonathan Pierce in like the first minute or two. You know, Jonathan Pierce, he lost that decision to Petty's, but prior to that, he got finished in the first round twice. So he can be finished in the first round. That's the only area of the fight or the only time in the fight where Joe Lozon even has a chance is to catch him early. And I actually think he comes out here and does it. I'm going to go with Joe Lozon via first round finish. Next up in the heavyweight division, we got Greg Prince of War Hardy. He's 5-1. and one. He's 6-0 and oh between you and me. And Ben Sosely is 7-2. and two. Currently, they got Greg Hardy minus 290. The comeback on Ben Sosley is plus 260. Well, Shaq, Ben Sosley had his last fight on Contender Series. Between you and me, he won via first-round knockout. I mean, it was kind of like a James Irvin versus Alessio Sakara situation where you punch the guy with your knuckle in the eye. He tries to act like it's an eye poke. And it's a first-round TKO. Now, on Contender Series, they actually called it a no contest, which is complete bullshit because if you watch the replay, it was a knuckle in the eye. That's a first-round TKO. But Dana and them knew that, okay, you know, let's not let's not uh, write this kid off. Let's give him another chance. They called him in for Dana White looking for a fight. That got canceled. Then they're like, you know what, son? How about you fight uh, Greg Hardy in Boston? <laughs> and uh, now that's what's going to happen for Greg Hardy. I kind of feel for him, man, because he had the easiest fight on the entire roster when he was lined up against my boy, Jarge's Man Mountain, Dan Ho. And you know Dan Ho, you know the last two letters of his last name, Ho. He pulled out that fight. So he's not fighting Dan Ho no more. Now he's fighting Ben Sosley, who kind of has that Justin Taffa, Mark Hunt, Tai Tuivasa type style. Who do you think gets it done? This might be Greg's toughest fight, at least on paper going in. Uh, Sosely is more experienced than uh, Alan Crowder, right? We're about the same, but he's, 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 just, man, he's just better than those guys, man. He's actually got boxing. So Greg Hardy, I would love to say top 15, but still, let's hold on on that because I still think he's very green. Juan Adams, I mean, I, I faded him his last two fights. I mean, Juan Adams, I mean, I bet on Bueller and uh, Greg Hardy at Dog Gods against him. And they, uh, when you bet on Bueller. I mean, I bet on Bueller to be like <laughs> came through so i think that people in terms of the top 15 sense we need to calm the fuck down about greg hardy in the top 15 sense because one thing i saw is that juan adams to start that fight off did jab him his nose did uh, start dripping blood i feel like sosley's got a very good jab and good straights the best boxer that greg's fought the thing with sosley is he's got no ground game that kid that he fought on contender series espino espino is a very it seemed like he's a very smart guy you know he wasn't exchanging with him at all on the feet and the way i saw espino knock out Maurice green i was like man that guy's pretty good but it's unfortunate that he uh, hasn't fought since I wonder what the hell's been going on with him. Isn't he Cuban? Something like that. So, you know, the visa yeah. is just... <laughs> he hasn't, he's old as hell, too. He faked his birth <laughs> <laughs> But uh, he hasn't fought since, so I think that Sasali, to be honest, might be uh, somewhat on a similar playing field with Greg Hardy, to be honest. I feel like there's a chance that that's the case. Like the, I said, the guy's actually got boxing, and he's not going to come out here and, and after landing a jab, shoot a single, and just stay on your face and get his head smashed in like Juan. Juan Adams was broken, too months prior to that fight he was already broken before after the Bueller fight because he already knew he had to fight Greg and just a good spot Greg was the underdog here he's a he's lying the favorite I still think Greg probably wins probably by knockout 
definitely a better athlete than Sasali, faster. He can get in some type of grappling situation and, and, you know, get some ground and pound off. Alan Crowder couldn't take him down. He actually got on top of He would have gotten on top of Alan Crowder if he didn't land the uh, illegal knee. But Alan Crowder is a fucking bum, guys, you know? Alan Crowder is <laughs> a... He got knocked out by a jab against Rosenstrike and went unconscious, you know what I'm saying? You know, Rosenstrike's going to be minus 500 <laughs> his next fight because of a jab against Crowder. Have a fucking sweat against Arlovsky. <laughs> but uh, I'll go with Greg, but... I think there's a chance that Sosali could give a lot of people um, some scares. And this is heavyweight, man. All it takes is one mistake. And Sosali actually has hands and probably has a lot better composure coming into this spot than a fucking Juan Adams or uh, Alan Crowder, who, like I said, is a complete bum. So I'll pick Hardy, but it's a it's a dog or pass situation, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you on this one, man. Uh Ben Sosley is definitely the best guy that Greg Hardy's fought inside the octagon, bar none. I mean, when you talk about Juan Adams, I mean, go back and listen to our breakdown. We said Juan Adams is doing exactly what every young fighter does before they're ready to pull a massive stunt. And then he's diving in on a single leg and ate about 50 unanswered shots. And any male that's out here wearing a romper, I don't need to say no more about that. So it was just one of those situations. But, uh... Look, uh, as far as Ben Sosley is concerned, there's things I like about him. There's things I don't like about him. What I don't like, the guy has no ground game. Obviously, you guys know I'm not a big fan of guys with no ground games. And also, he's kind of a little bit arrogant about his boxing, kind of fights with his hands way too down for me. And when you're fighting that guy on Contender Series who will take a knuckle to the eye and claim it's an eye poke, you know, that's fine. Then you can fight that guy with your hands down. But when you're fighting the Prince of War, Greg Hardy, uh, you better keep your fucking hands up because even though this guy is green and inexperienced, we're talking about the kind of athlete where... This guy already played in the NFL, pro bowler. Now he's in the UFC. I mean, how many guys can say they made it to the UFC or the NFL, period? This guy made it to both. This is a freak athlete we're talking about. And the reason I bring that up is because that athleticism and power translates in these fights. And you see when he hits guys, they don't react the best. And with Ben Sosley, while he might you know, be on the more crisper side in terms of his hands... Greg Hardy hits like an absolute truck. And if he hits this guy on the chin, I think he will go down. So... While it might be a dog or pass situation just because Ben Sosley isn't a complete joke like Juan Adams and Alan Crowder and all these guys, I still ultimately favor Greg Hardy. I just think he's got more potential, so long term, I think he comes out here and beats a guy like this, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Don't go too big on it. Co-main event in the evening in the featherweight division. We got Yair El Pantera Rodriguez. He's 12-2, and two, and Jeremy Little Heathen Stevens is 28-16. and 16. Currently, they got... Jeremy Stevens minus 105, Yair Rodriguez minus 105. So it's a dead pick em. I mean, dude, uh, we wanted this fight to go down a couple weeks ago in Mexico, and now it's going down in Beantown, Massachusetts. And uh, it's not five rounds anymore. It's not in the Mexico City elevation. Now it's in sea level with the rally American fans this time. Uh, who do you think gets it done? Yeah, Jeremy Stevens. They only got to fight 15 seconds. He took the eye poke. Seemed like he kind of got overwhelmed in that moment by the crowd saying all that shit at him. And he can't see. And the mixture of the ref saying you only got five minutes. And I don't think he quit. I'm just saying he got overwhelmed. I'm going to say uh, <laughs> right when it happened, Shaq said he's not going to. I mean, look, to my, my witness is right here. The second it happened, I knew the fight was over. I mean, you could just see right away that all that shit that he was talking mixed in with the crowd. It's just too much. I mean, that shit all hitting you at once. And your Yair Rodriguez on, is on the other side of you and you can't see. And you know that 
if you continue, there's a good chance you get knocked out. I feel like that's what happened. Jeremy Stevens is one of the toughest guys to ever hit the sport of MMA. I mean, he's got a highlight reel of KOs. Um, but we know what the deal is, man. It's Historically speaking, if you can avoid Jeremy Stevens' uh, big shot, that you might be able to take a home a decision, whether that be Frankie Edgar. He took one big shot in that fight, but he won the decision, whether it be Anato Moicano. He didn't really take any uh, shots in his fight, but he was able to win the decision. Or Max Holloway. Charles Oliveira, Cub Swanson, Donald Cerrone. And if we sit here forever, we'll have to <laughs> name 16 guys because he's got the most losses in UFC history. But, uh, you know, he's got some good wins. He's got, he beat Elkins, he beat Hannon, Duho, Josh Emmett. That was a very good win. The streak that he was on before the Aldo fight, really, the only really good win i say was emmett and props to him for for uh knocking out josh emmett because emmett man that guy might be the biggest power hitter in the division uh currently but jeremy's under the assumption that no one's ever taken a soul before but i recall jose aldo yeah i heard his interview him. didn't jeremy say no one's ever <laughs> taken the dog out of him in a but fight I remember cerrone molly what what did, what did jose aldo do <laughs> what did jose didn't jose make him TKO him in the first. But hey, maybe I maybe I was then maybe maybe we, maybe we were using too much of uh, Flav CBD. <laughs> Use the promo code Battle. I think Jeremy Stevens is a uh, you know big macho man, big tough guy, but I just don't think that necessarily he has the skills to to be on the upper echelon of the division. I feel like Yair Rodriguez does. I mean, he stayed in a fight with Korean Zombie. I consider personally Korean Zombie a top five guy. I mean, he just launched Moicano's head into the fifth row. Moicano was your so-called future champion this and that. Rayir has a higher ceiling. He's younger, fresher. He's got more tools to win this fight. Like I said, I feel like the only way Jeremy Stevens does is if Yair goes down, but now you give us less time to to run away from him and uh, and make him look silly. So I feel like Yair is going to come out here, move around, get off to a good lead with his kick, avoid the big shots. You know, Jeremy Stevens does have good pressure, but I just feel like the mindset that he's currently in is actually a worse mindset than the, the initial fight going into Mexico. That fight, a lot of more pressure was on Yair to fight in front of his hometown people. A five-rounder. Mexico elevation. Mexico elevation. Now you give us three rounds we got less time to run away from him you know what i'm saying and like i said jeremy's a one-dimensional guy he's got good calf kicks but that's against guys that stand right in front of him that aren't dynamic aka Duho Choi, aka gilbert melendez complete fronts what's gilbert melendez ufc record two and a hundred you know? one and six oh, i mean let's be honest the only thing uh Duho Choi ever beat was fucking sam cecilia and tiago tavares oh my god you know so <laughs> I mean, Tiago Tavares is out here taking L's to Watley in PFL, you know. But uh, I think that Yair Rodriguez gets this job done, whether it be by decision or I wouldn't be shocked if he landed a big kick, a knee, something flashy to possibly Jeremy Stevens is getting older. You know, it is going to be a lot tougher for him to start hanging with these young, hungry featherweights. And the composure that Yair showed in that zombie fight was all I needed to see. You know, I feel like everyone wrote him off after the Frankie Edgar fight. Oh my God, he lost one fight. He's done. Oh my God, he's scared as a bee. Listen that fucking why the fuck would he be scared as a bee the, <laughs> the the kid that was quitting against jeremy and the in the and the kid that was quitting against bosniak i mean oh my god the kid that beat shaman and mike santiago like oh <laughs> fucking uh because he jumped off a cage we've been jumping off cages bro <laughs> like but i got yair rodriguez in this fight by 30 uh 30 27 decision maybe 29 28 maybe 29 27 maybe we get a knockdown but i like this three rounds a lot more some would say maybe jeremy could push a little harder but i just think that you give yeah a guy like Yair, less time to avoid Jeremy's shots. I feel like we can 
kind of not empty the tank more, but just use more weapons. Now we can get a little bit more flashier. Granted, he's got to avoid the one big shot of Jeremy Stevens, but I think Jeremy Stevens is a little too amped up going into this fight. Yair is going to be the more composed guy, and I, and I think he uh, gets the win, and I feel like he outclasses Jeremy Stevens. Yeah, look, I don't know if you guys remember uh, Jeremy Stevens before the Aldo fight, but he was acting like a fighter does before they're about to pull a massive stunt, and he's doing the exact same thing here. I mean, when the guy with the most losses in UFC history is talking about killing someone, like, just just come on. You already know he's setting himself up for embarrassment. And with Yair Rodriguez, we're talking about a very composed individual who's been through a lot of shit in terms of the backlash from the fans and just his career trajectory. I mean, he already was beating up guys like Dan Hooker, knocking out guys like Andre Feely when he was undefeated in the UFC. He had to take a setback to the former champion, Frankie Edgar, which, by the way, he got his eye closed in that fight and said he still wanted to continue. The doctor didn't let him. But comes back from that fight, and he takes on the Korean zombie, who we already said is a top five guy on planet Earth, and there's something we got to preface about that Korean zombie fight. Not only did he fight the Korean zombie and knock him out in the fifth round after a serious war, how about this? He took that fight on two weeks short notice in the Denver elevation, and then knocked him out in the fifth round after a war. That, to me, uh, I'm not going to say that's a sign of a future world champion, but that's a sign of a very elite, high-level, top five UFC featherweight and as far as this matchup is concerned with Jeremy Stevens I mean if you're in the top 10 of the UFC featherweight division and you haven't figured out how to beat Jeremy Stevens yet I know my boy uh, Emmett was talking reckless he had to take his first L but Yair's already taken his so and you see he's not talking reckless at all in my opinion I know some of you guys disagree with the comments he made I really didn't have a problem with them I mean he was the guy in there you know what I mean he was the guy trying to put on a show for his sold out crowd in Mexico so and, I, and I've seen way worse eye pokes. I'm not calling a guy of Jeremy Stevens' caliber a quitter at all. That would be ignorant of me to say. That would be very ignorant and wrong of me to say. I got a lot of respect for Jeremy Stevens, so that's not what I'm implying. But I really, truly believe that other people would have continued. It is what it is. But that doesn't matter because this is a different fight. And not only is this three rounds, now it's at sea level. And I, I just think that Yair's going to come out here, do the proper game plan to beat Jeremy Stevens, which is kick him, stay on the outside, circle, circle. You know, if he wants to mix in a blast double here and there like Moicano did, uh, he can do that as well. You saw the way he blast doubled Andre Feely in their fight. I, I just think that Yair is way too fast for him. Oh, you saw what Yair did to Dan Hooker as well. I, I just think Yair is way too fast for him, way too skilled for him, and way too calm and composed for him, most importantly. So I think he outclassed Jeremy Stevens. Shaq picked the decision, but I'm going with a shin to chin. I think Yair Rodriguez comes out here and hands Jeremy Stevens his third knockout loss. Shout out to my boy, the Thug Jitsu Master, and uh, the former champ, Jose Aldo. Main event of the evening. In the light heavyweight division, we got the former middleweight champion, Chris, the All-American Wideman. He's 14-4. And Dominic Reyes is 11-0. Currently, they got Dominic Reyes minus 165. The comeback on Chris Weidman is plus 145. Well, man, I love the fact that they match these two up in the main event. This is a hell of a fight right here because with Dominic Reyes, not only does he have the physical attributes to represent the light heavyweight division, I mean, he's 6'5", has the massive reach, but he's also undefeated as well, taking out all the guys he's been up against. I mean, we're talking about knockouts over Cannoneer, a knockout over Ovin St. Preux. I know it says a decision, but if anyone watched that fight, he knocked him out in the third round. So don't 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 ever look at me in the eye and tell me that that was a decision because that was a third-round knockout. And then he won that decision against Volkan Uzdemir. So Dominic Reyes has put himself in a position to go in here against a former UFC world champion, and that's exactly what he's got. With Chris Weidman, you're talking about a guy who, let, let, let's backtrack a little bit. He was already out here beating guys like 
Ryan Bader and Phil Davis in pure wrestling, and then he transitions to MMA, goes on a 13-fight win streak, and I mean, we're talking about, he was the guy to dethrone the great Anderson Silva, beat him in the rematch, I was actually at the first fight at UFC 162, and let me tell you, when he knocked out Anderson Silva, the whole place went silent, it was insane, it changed the sport forever, obviously beat Machida, beat Vitor Belfort, and then had to fight uh, Lukey Rockhold, had to fight Yoel, had to fight Gegard, you know, got dropped by Kelvin, got knocked the fuck out by Ronaldo Souza. The last five fights have not really gone according to plan for Chris Weidman. And, you know, I hear these interviews with Chris Weidman, and he is a bit delusional about some of these things. You know, he's saying stuff like, you know, I was winning all these fights clearly, and then I got caught. It's like, really, you, you were beating Yoel Romero clearly, and then you got caught? You know what I mean? Don't you remember Yoel taking him down in that second round? You were winning against Jacare clearly, and then you got caught. Don't you guys remember when Jacare was turning up in that second round? And the win against Kelvin, we got to give him a lot of credit. Kelvin's the former number one contender, but Kelvin's also five foot nine, and Kelvin was pulling a massive stunt in that fight. That was back when Kelvin was talking about how, man, if I go up to middleweight, I don't know if I can hang with the Chris Weidmans, the Jacares, the Luke Rockles. That's what that's what Kelvin used to say. He used to say, man, I want to go back to one seventy, but they won't let me. But then eventually he sucked it up and he made it to a title shot. But that's back when he was still in that mindset. So. And even in that terrible mindset, he still floored Chris Weidman in the first round. But that being said, we're not dealing with a five foot nine guy anymore in Kelvin Gastelum. Now we're dealing with a six foot five guy in Dominic Reyes. And the big question here is what happens on the map? Because what we've seen so far is non-grapplers, and I say non-grapplers, I mean I know these guys train their grapplers, but non-grapplers of Chris Weidman's caliber, such as Jeremy Kimball and Volkan Uzdemir, are taking this guy, Dominic Reyes, down. That being said, Reyes does scramble back up to his feet pretty effortlessly, and I actually like his awareness. I like his takedown defense, his balance, his get-up game. It's all on point. The big question here is, how does he react to the takedown attempts from a guy on Weidman's caliber? Because this ain't no Jeremy Kimball anymore. This ain't Volkan Uzdemir anymore. This is a real black belt. This is a real D1 wrestler. This is an All-American we're talking about. But that being said, you also have to consider the fact that Weidman's chin is completely done. It's shot to a point where if you hear his interviews where he's talking about his chin, uh, I've never heard a run around that big since, uh, that's the biggest run around I've seen since TJ Dillashaw injected steroids in his ass and still got knocked out in under 30 seconds. So this fight stays standing for long periods of time and I do expect the long Dominic Reyes to touch that chin of Chris Wyman. Interestingly enough, even though, even though Reyes has the height advantage, you know Wyman actually has one inch of reach on him. Which is pretty interesting here. You don't see uh, six foot five guys having reach disadvantages, but it kind of reminds me of Max Holloway in a way where Holloway is always the taller guy in his weight class, but he actually has kind of shorter arms. You know, he's got like a 68 inch reach. So some of these guys have longer reaches than him, but it still looks like he's the longer guy when he peppers guys. And I think that's the case with Dominic Reyes. Even though on paper it says Weidman's got the longer reach, and I know Weidman is pretty deceptive with his range, especially in his prime. He did have pretty decent boxing back in the day, but man, I, I just think that nowadays uh, he's got to be more cautious of that chin, and if he doesn't get Reyes down and hold him down and submit him, when Reyes gets back up, it's going to be trouble. The knees, the long strikes, the straight punches, I think that eventually somewhere along the way, Dominic Reyes does knock out the former champion, Chris Wyman. It's just about when this hits the mat, what if he's not able to just bounce back up to his feet like he was against Jeremy Kimball and Volkan? And Volkan dragged him to the middle of the mat, almost full-mounted him, but that post of Reyes was so on point. I just think a better grappler might be able to expose that. It's just, does Chris Weidman have enough left in the tank to do that? So I'll, I'll say officially, Chris Weidman probably does take him down once or twice. I think Reyes survives, and on the feet at distance, 
That, that's when the big shot's going to come, whether it's a knee, a straight right, a head kick, a spinning kick, an elbow, the knee. I see Dominic Reyes knocking out Chris Wyman and getting one step closer to the match with John Jones. It's going to be a really good fight. Dominic Reyes doesn't have the experience uh, the high level like Chris Wyman does. We know that. Wyman's been in there with Rocco, Romero, Musasi, Gastelum, and Jacare, Machida. Anderson Silva twice, Damian Maya. I mean, the list goes on and on. So Wyman definitely has the experience. As you know, I feel like things could have been a lot better for Chris Wyman if he, I'm not going to say he's a egomaniac or anything, but I feel like things could have gone a lot better for him if he would have just had more acceptance. And that's just one thing that he's kind of struggling with. I get it. He's a warrior. He can't let go of the fact that, but guys, he beat Anderson Silva. You know what year that was in? <laughs> On a 2013. I get that he, he was able to do that, but it just seems like for the last couple of years, that's like been the only thing that he's been holding on to are those two wins because the Machida fight, that was kind of the first sign to me that maybe Chris, uh, he was undefeated at the time, that maybe the first L was coming along, but the way that he took his first L was very damaging. The way the, the ground and pound situation with Luke Rockhold where we were screaming at the TV, her, please stop. And when you go through losses like that, I mean, those change you, man. And when I think that, uh, I'm not going to say that he was a champion prematurely. I believe he was about, what, 13-0, and 0, maybe 14-0, and 0, really. Didn't, yeah, but he was an undefeated champ. So. Knocked that Anderson. Exactly. When you're an undefeated champion, it's a, it's a little different. Now, you've already reached high, so now the only where this thing can go is down. You know? so Then he fought uh, Yoel Romero. No shame in losing that, but it's just the way that it unfolded. Ate that knee. And he got launched. He, it was bad. I mean, we thought, man, we thought a guy had ketchup all over his face. But, <laughs> but uh, and then the fight with Musasi. Musasi, he actually was able to get the takedowns on Musasi. Got him with that single leg. And Musasi's a guy that historically, occasionally will flop to his back and just lay there. And after he got back up at 185 pounds, I mean, he was completely gassed. That's why he lost the fight. It wasn't illegal or legal knees, whatever. The reason why, the the, the real reason why he lost that fight is because he was gassed out. That's why he lost the fight. He, that wrestling pace took so much, uh, it fatigues you to a point, especially at, the, at his age when you've already taken vicious KO losses. I mean, I know Chris is a tough guy, but deep down he knows... Dominic Reyes knows that he doesn't have that same confidence. I know he tries to put on the persona that I was. I haven't. I'm not. I'm not out here getting dropped with jabs. Yeah, but you're out here getting fucking like launched. And one thing with the Kelvin Gaslam fight that I forgot is Chris. Chris Weidman actually opened the favorite in that fight. A lot of us played Kelvin at uh, chalk lines, but Weidman actually opened the slight favorite. Opened minus one forty five. And now in this spot against, uh, in his other fights, he opens the favorite the most. There's really rarely times, I think there's only two times he's opened the dog where against Anderson Silva. So this is the first time he's opening the dog, like a, a somewhat of a decent-sized dog, against a guy that doesn't have the credentials just yet. And I think it's a sign that Chris Wyman's most likely done here. I know he's got this wrestling that he's banking on. You know, his my bet, in my opinion, I feel like his best bet would be try to flow with Reyes, see if you can, you know, surprise him because I just think he's too big and I feel like him trying to grapple a guy a, um, a guy size like Reyes is just going to drain him to a point, especially holding, trying to hold him down. It'd be one thing if this was 20 pounds where he's moving up a weight class, but I just think he's he's tired of coming to weight, man. He's 35 years old. I don't think this is 20 pounds of good weight. I just think this is 20 pounds of... 20 pounds weight, <laughs> You know? 
And I think he's going to try to fight Reyes with a 20-pound weight vest. I think that he probably feels really good, probably feels like, oh, I'm not sick. It's going to be a Rockhold situation. All those guys, all those legends at 85 are kind of somewhat doing the same thing. Rockhold already tried. Now Weidman's up. And now, and uh, Jacare is coming up here shortly. They're all done with 185s. The weight cut took their toes. They've all taken vicious. You saw what happened when Reyes fought a middleweight and Jared Cannonier. Yeah, he put him down in the first round. The size was too much. I think it's going to be too much here. I think, and, and I just don't think Wyman, Wyman represents that. He was like the last of that old where you got the. I mean, wrestlers still do their thing, but that he, he beat the, Mark Munoz exactly, for a title exactly. shot. He was the last. He was like the young guy of the of uh, when when Munoz and Chael and and Damian Maya was still at eighty five and Tim Bosch was in the picture and Yushin Okami <laughs> and fucking you know Alan Belcher and Bisping and C B Dalloway you know when those guys were in the in the rankings in the division when Cesar Ferreira was the top prospect you know what I'm saying so I feel like Wyman just represents. Uh, not a stone age, but just, I feel like Father Times just caught up with him. In person, I just think Reyes is a, on a different caliber. I mean, Reyes is a serious athlete, a former Division One football player. He didn't get the uh, NFL, he didn't get drafted in the NFL draft, switched his uh, focus to fighting. And one thing I like about Reyes, it seems like he's one of those guys that got that has a team built around him. I like those guys that, uh, like uh, Ratchik or Tony Ferguson, it seems like he, he lives in a very small community. Victorville Homes, you know, where Joe Stevenson's from, and Joe Stevenson is coaching. I know Joe Stevenson's a serious black belt, and I know that he's a very good teacher. And I feel like he's going to have Reyes prepared on the grappling uh, with Chris Wyman. I just think, I don't see this ending good. I just feel like this is a last resort attempt for Chris Wyman. Kind of similar to Rocco. You're out of options at 85. You want to rejuvenate things. You want to, and, you're, and, and, and the, the big thing, I, why, why I brought up the egomaniac thing is, like, after all these losses, like, like what, what? Like what would make you think that? Like, 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 like. I'm not saying that. You know, he's a fighter. Promote yourself, but bro, John Jones. Like, what? What? John Jones. You couldn't even fucking beat Jocker. What the fuck are you talking about? Like, John. Like, and that's what I was thinking when Luke was saying that. You know, this whole John Jones shit. The way I match up with him, like, dude, he barely beat Dave Branch. The way you match. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about like john jones would smack you up be like easily bro it wouldn't even be a fight so i just think that these guys are not are somewhat delusional and i just think father time's caught up with all of them i feel like they're all on last resort attempts i respect what chris wyman's done in his career a great guy funny guy i love him and volante you know hey volante you know but i just feel like this is a bad bad fight against an athletic guy that throws thunder and i've already seen the guy against former middleweights you know relevant relevant middleweights and uh, aka jerry cannonier and he put them down in less than three minutes so i feel like that's going to be the similar case here i feel like wyman's going to come out here and and push a good pace probably tie him up but i actually don't think he gets him down at all i think he's too strong i think reyes is too strong too big and i think he's going to stuff the takedowns a lot better and like reyes said in ufc Destin, not happening bro and i think reyes gets a knockout I kind of personally would have liked to see Weidman retire off that Gastelum win. The way he looked, got it in New York. Like but when you keep, when you fail, like I said, when you struggle with the acceptance of where you actually are, and I get it, it's the fight game. It's sad to see it when it happens to the guys we saw coming up. I mean, we're going to have to see it with some of our boys coming up here shortly. I mean, some of them are getting old, man. Can you imagine <laughs> Izzy in five years? <laughs> One day you're going to see Izzy out here getting ran through. It's going to be like, Izzy, what happened, bro? <laughs> <laughs> 
It's just a fight game, man. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like that's just what it is. I mean, if he would have had acceptance, maybe he would have been able to retire on that or maybe just take fights with guys, you know, a little lesser, rack up the paychecks, but instead still think they can fight John Jones and this and that. But, you know, I respect Wyman, but I just think Reyes is a better athlete, a way better striker, um, better footwork, younger, fresher, and I think he gets the win here, man. So make sure you guys check out our sponsor, Flav, at flavcbd.com. Use the promo code BATTLE to save 10% off any purchase. And you feeling nervous about these fights, uh, anxious about your bets, or been a stressful week, or you just want to chill out and relax, Flav CBD got you covered. Make sure you get those blueberry gummies. I know I've been talking about them every single episode, but uh, I kind of got to. I mean, it's my favorite for sure. But I mean, don't get me wrong. I like the grapefruit too. I like the salve. They're on point, man. The sunscreen, because you know it's 100 degrees in uh, October. So flavcbd.com. Use the promo code battle to save 10% off any purchase. And now we got to hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself. Kyle Marley is going down tomorrow, Friday night in Beantown. How's it going? Hey, not terrible. Uh, been getting my ass kicked lately, but I'm ready to start this hot streak. Hopefully this is the week to get it going. That's part of the game, and I know you're getting right back up on the horse, man, because first up in the 205-pound division, you got the former 85-champ Weidman taking on the undefeated prospect Reyes. Currently in draftings, you got 8,800 for Reyes, 7,400 for Weidman. I know for a fact, or I could be wrong, let me know if I'm wrong, that you're most likely not stacking this fight because it's either going to be a knockout by Reyes or a submission from Weidman. I don't expect it to be too back and forth. Which way are you going? Uh, I'm actually cool with the stack. Um, I don't need 160 points from a stack. The point of a stack is just to lock in your win and your 100-plus points and hope that the people that you play are making the mistake of using one of these two because if they pick wrong, you got a good shot of beating them in a head-to-head. So I'm totally okay with a stack in cash games, that is. Those are your head-to-heads, your 50-50s, double-ups, where you only have to beat half the field. We're not looking for first place in these kind of games. So that's why the stack works. You're getting your 100-plus guaranteed points, and then it helps you elsewhere in your lineup. Uh, No issues with it, but GPPs, this is an all-in fight. I think there's a very small chance that this fight is not on the $25,000 winning lineup. So I'm going to have pretty much every single lineup have this fight in it. Uh, I think Reyes is going to get the knockout. I just think he's going to be a lot bigger, way better on the feet. I don't trust Chris's chin. But this is a card where I really don't like too many underdogs. So if Chris wins, he's going to score 100-plus. So he's probably going to be one of my higher-owned underdogs on the card, and and I'm probably going to end up rooting for him by the time that fight starts. Um, But I could see it being like a 50-50 split, maybe even a 60-40 Weidman split, just because I like a lot of favorites on the card. Um, And I'm cool with going elsewhere for Reyes, because I could see him get, you know, 100 points and then be outscored by other favorites. But with Weidman, he has the highest ceiling of all the underdogs on the card. So he's turned into my preferred play, even though I have him losing by knockout. Co-main event, you got Yair Rodriguez running it back with Jeremy Stevens and DraftKings. They got it a dead pick just like at the betting line. It's 8,100 apiece. I mean, does the fact that it's three rounds and no longer an elevation change your thoughts at all? Yeah, it definitely changes my thoughts for DraftKings. Um, Two less rounds to work with. uh, Takes away from the ceiling and the floor of both of these guys. So now you're kind of needing the knockout from either one if you're going to roster them and hope to hit that 25K. Uh, Both are in play for the knockout for sure. But I think with three rounds, we can kind of get away from this fight and just let the ownership get soaked up by the field because it's going to be a popular fight both ways. So I'm cool with just skipping it if you want to go that way if you're only making a couple lineups. 
Uh, but I will take a, a few shots and I'll probably just I'll make my favorite Yair lineup or two favorite Yair lineups and then I'll duplicate those. I'll put the same lineup in with Stevens so that way if I have my other five fights right, I got this one no matter what. Um, I am throwing money away doing that, but if, if the combo hits, I'm cool with it. Uh, but I am going to take Yair to get the win here. I just think his movement's going to be enough to stay away from the knockout and I think he'll have more volume, uh, land, land the harder shots because I think Stevens will be swinging more at air. But I don't know, man. I think Stevens might have the higher ceiling because this guy's coming out to kill Yair. And I think he's more live for the knockout, which is what we're wanting on DraftKings. So no issues if, if you'd rather go with Stevens. But I got Yair to win this fight, and I think it's one we can get away from in DraftKings with it only being three rounds. So you're mentioning getting away from this fight, but I got to know if you're going to get away from this heavyweight fight between Greg Hardy and Ben Sassoli because I have a feeling the winner is going to come out here and get a knockout. Now the thing here is Ben Sassoli, 6,900. Do you see that as a nice little uh, you know, controversial opinion taking him for the upset, or are you going to ride with Hardy here? I'm totally cool with taking some stabs at Sassoli here. Um, if he wins, he's going to be a lock for the 25K at 6,900. It's going to be a knockout if he wins, most likely. And that hap- if that happens, he's so cheap that he's going to be on the winning lineup. And Hardy's going to be 50% owned. So not only are you going to score highly, but you're killing off half the field if he wins as well. I just think Hardy's probably going to get this done. He's going to be the, the bigger, stronger, more athletic, faster fighter. And I think he's going to land the big shot first. Um, and I think this fight likely ends in the first round. So at 9,300, I think he's paying that off with 100 plus. He's my preferred play here, but um, I have no issues going a little heavier on so so solely here because that's going to be the contrarian move. You have an Hardy in your lineup with that 100 points is not going to be any different than the other uh, three to 4,000 people who have Hardy also. So you're not being contrarian at all there. You're going to have to get contrarian elsewhere, but so solely is contrarian in himself, and if he wins, he's on the nuts. So Joe Lozon's making his return after an 18-month absence, and we know the deal here, man. In that first round, Joe Lozon is hell on wheels, but if you can take him past, if you can extend them, most guys can go out there and beat him. So my question is, are you going to take the veteran Lozon or are you taking the newcomer Jonathan Pierce? So on a card where I really don't like too many underdogs, I will have a couple shots on Lozon here because if he wins, like you said, it's going to be early. And if that's the case, he'll score highly. Uh, he'll probably be on the optimal lineup in that case. So I'm cool with a couple shots on him, uh, but I don't see him getting the win. If he doesn't win in the first round, I think he's going to get finished himself. And Pierce isn't too expensive, so he's one of the guys I like a good bit on this card. He's only 8,500. Um, I don't see this going to the judges, so he's going to pay that off, in my opinion. And he could score 100 plus here with with a first round finish at 8,500. That's going to do a lot for your lineup. So Pierce is my preferred play, but no issues if you want to take that shot on the first round Lozon in Boston chance for a possible 25 case. I mean, I know you remember when he fought Gabe Rudiger in Boston. I know that was a long ass time ago, but. Uh... <laughs> Us old school fans remember those days, man. That was a first okay. round beatdown in Beantown. But last but not least, Macy Barber's taking on Jillian Robertson. I mean, we know Barber's the more physical lady here. We know Jillian's got the edge on the mat. So how do you think it plays out and who gets it done? See, I think this is going to end up being one of the more uh, important fights to target on the card. We got a minus 215 fight doesn't go to a decision line. And they're right there in the mid-range of the salaries. So I think, I mean, you have 100-plus points for possible from the winner here, and if they do that at their salary, there's a good chance they're going to win you a lot of money. Um, so I, I, I like both sides of this fight. Whoever you like, you should go heavy on them. But definitely take a couple hedge lineups here. I'm going to be on Barbara here. She'll make a good amount of my lineups. I think she's playable in cash games. But I'm nervous if she gets put on her back, Jillian can sub her in the first round. So at 7,900, 
I got to take a couple shots there. I'm just going to be spreading my exposure out to the underdogs this week, and I'll take um, higher exposure on the favorites that I like. Barber is going to be one of those favorites that I like. Um, so Robertson's going to be a, more of a hedge play for me. But like I said, you, you definitely don't want to fade her here because she, she scores over 100 when she wins. And we haven't seen Barber off her back yet. Um, I think Robertson's live here, but I, I like uh, Barbara. I'm, uh, I'm on the hype train, and hopefully she gets it done. Well, Kyle, that's why you're the DraftKings guy for half the battle. It's going down tomorrow, Friday night in Boston, Massachusetts. They can follow you at Big Marley 3. Your bets and your write-ups are available at bestfightpicks.com. Yes, sir. Got three bets going for this card. Um, it's cheaper than usual, so hop on this week. Hopefully the hot streak starts. You guys can be on it with me. DraftKings is only $7.99. It's about 18,000 words each week. Uh, I think you guys will enjoy it. Check it out, and let's make some money this week. Good luck. And Shaq, let's talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC Boston? My fight to watch is going to be Jillian Robertson versus Macy Barber. You know, we got two up-and-coming female fighters in the in the flyweight division coming up. And the winner of this fight, man, I can see them getting a big push from the UFC. You know, we got two attractive young ladies in there. And I think that the winner, if they get on that mic and promote themselves right, they could uh, be a, a potential new star. And Macy's been talking about this whole uh, youngest champ since John Jones. <laughs> <laughs> youngest champ since John Jones. Could you imagine? <laughs> youngest champ since John Jones. And I like her confidence. And, you know, Jillian, like we said, on Tough, man, Eddie, Eddie wasn't too high on her. Eddie had a, a lot of things to say about her. So uh, it's, it'll be a good story for her if she can win five or six fights yeah, i'm very excited for that one aside from the main and co-main i gotta go with daron win versus darren stewart as my fight to watch i mean these guys have been talking a lot of shit back and forth on twitter and it's a lot of funny stuff too uh, these guys Oompa, got <laughs> 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 these guys got a great sense of humor uh so it's gonna be very exciting and plus they're they go out there and leave it all on the line every single time now you throw in the weight miss for daron win and also, Darren Stewart's been looking way better his last three fights. He's got a lot of confidence. Obviously, knocked out Spicely, went to a split decision with with the kid Edmund Shabazian, and then the last fight beat Bayvon. So Darren Stewart's coming on hard. Darren win got the 50k bonus in his debut. I'm very excited for this middleweight fight, or should I say catchweight fight, Shaq? Yeah. So who is your fighter to watch for UFC on ESPN six? My fighter to watch is going to be Ayer El Pantera Rodriguez. I mean, look, he's got the opportunity to come out here and shut Jeremy Stevens' mouth. Jeremy says, if Ayer doesn't die, it don't count. And when a guy says that, I mean, there's got to be something burning inside of him to make the the guy, like you said, with the most losses in the UFC, uh, in the UFC's history, uh, to make him eat those words, man. And Ayer got a lot of backlash from, I guess quote-unquote, the way he acted down there in Mexico, like, oh my god, he swung at Bisping, no, he didn't, like, he, he was out of, I mean, imagine showing up, imagine spending all that money on a, on a five-round fight to train in uh, Zacatecas, Mexico, and, and elevation, he wasn't just paying for himself, he was probably paying for fucking, you know, 10 other guys as well, and the, for a fight to unfold like that, now, granted, I know Jeremy was a little bit compromised, but if Yair can get this win, I think he's top five guaranteed. And then we can start putting him in in these fights with the Zabits if he wins his next fight. You know, he's got a big fight against Calvin Qatar down there in Russia. 
I mean, let's be honest, guys. Abid weaseled his way uh, out of a... Because Abid was supposed to be fighting this weekend against Kyle. I feel like if Yair can get this win, you get wins over... Back-to-back -back wins over guys like Korean Zombie and Jeremy Stevens. I think that puts him in spot, you know, to be one win away from a title shot. So, Yair Rodriguez is my uh, fighter to watch. He's definitely one of the fighters to watch. For me, my fighter to watch is Kevin Holland. This has always been a very exciting and fan-friendly fighter. Always puts on a show. But the thing with him is we need to see him go out here and not have a back-and-forth fight with someone. We need to see him go out here and dominate and finish someone. I think he's got the perfect opponent to come out here and do that And Brendan Allen. And when you watch uh, Brendan Allen's fight on Contender Series, Dana White says, yo, we can't, we can't rush to sign this kid because you put him in there with the wrong guy and they might whoop him really, really bad to where he'll never be the same. And Kevin Holland's a guy who will not just whoop you, but he'll talk to you while he's doing it. So I'm very intrigued by not just the stylistic matchup, but the mental dynamic between these two. So for that reason, uh, Kevin Holland is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down tomorrow, Friday night in Boston, Massachusetts. They can follow you at MMA Genius 05. They can follow me at Best Fight Picks. Our bets are available at bestfightpicks.com. Use the promo code MATADOR to save 15% off any package. Our Instagram, Best Fight Picks Official. Our sponsor, Flav CBD. Use that promo code BATTLE to save 10%. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and all the spots where we are available. Want to thank you guys all so much for your support. I know we're uh, two weeks behind on those fan questions, but don't worry. We will get to those very soon. I promise you that. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.